Philippians chapter 2, verse number 8. Hallelujah. And being found in appearance as a man, he, meaning Jesus, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death, or to the death of, on the cross, of the cross. Hallelujah. 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 Praise you, Lord. Glory to you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We give place to your word, Father. Lord, O oh Lord Jesus, inscribe your word upon our heart, O oh God. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, Lord God, minds to understand. Holy Spirit, let the word of God change us and transform us. It's a living word, O oh God. And we've come hungry today, Lord God. And so, Lord God, impart into each of our lives and seal this word within us, we pray. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every time somebody goes on a journey or a trip, you make preparations and you plan it out, don't you? You just don't get up one day. Most people just don't get up one day and say, I'm off. I'm off to somewhere I don't know, but I'm off. You know, usually you plan where you, <laughs> usually you plan where you're going to go, where you're going to stay. We get some ideas of what you want to do while you're there amen and so preparation you know is a good thing uh and so just most people just don't out of a whim just get up and say hey let's uh let's go to uh chicago today and see what's going on down there no people just don't do that and so pray well so, like i say most people don't do that we heard on the news last night that some 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 couple they they says uh uh, they were wealthy, and they says, oh, we, we just can't stay in one place for more than two weeks, and, and we just got to keep moving and moving, and our whole life is every two weeks we go somewhere different, and so we're never in one place more than two weeks. I'm scratching my head and saying, what kind of a life is that, huh? What kind of a life is that? But they thought it was wonderful that they could, but there was no peace in their life, because that's what drives you to keep, because you cannot find and so you go somewhere else. Maybe here I'll find something and maybe there. Thank God. Thank God for Jesus in our life. Amen. Hallelujah. So we want to visit over the next couple of weeks. We want to visit. We want to journey to the cross. The cross is, is, is the foundation. I mean the resurrection. But the cross is the crux of our, of our faith. That's where our sins, your sins were forgiven. Had our sins not be forgiven, if the cross never was, where would we be? We wouldn't be able to access the, the presence of God because sin separates us from God. And so we want to journey, with the, as the study says, journey to the cross over the, over the next several weeks. And it's good as we re, re, remember and rehearse and see all that God has done and is doing for us. Hallelujah. It's, you know, it's difficult if not impossible, to visit the cross of Jesus, to go there and to meditate on it and to look upon what Christ has done and walk away unaffected. Hallelujah. You just can't. And, you know, there, there's choices to be made. When you, when you see the cross of Christ, you either have to accept Christ as Savior and Lord or look at, at him as of none effect. I looked at the cross of Christ and I said, Thank you, Jesus, for bearing my sin upon that cross. And when I was, when I said that, what happened? And I said, Jesus, I repent, come into my life. What happened? I became born again. Amen? It affected me. It changed my life forever. How many of you went to Calvary's cross and have it affect and change your life forever? Amen? 
praise the Lord. It's mind-boggling to understand the unconditional love and the sacrifice that Jesus made for me, that Jesus made for you. It's how do we how do we comprehend that? How do we how do we embrace that? That God loved us while we were enemies, while we were yet sinners, God loved us and gave himself for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, Galatians 4 says that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. You see, God had the journey already planned. God didn't wake up one day and say, you know what? Why don't we go, uh, Jesus, why don't you go and take on flesh and, and, and save those people? God didn't just wake up one day and it was a whims where he says, okay, uh, they need to be saved. The Bible says he was slain from the foundation of the earth. God had planned uh, Jesus as our Savior and Lord way before we were even born, way before the first sin was even committed. Because God knew that as he formed us and fashioned us in the womb, how many of you know he's an all-wise God? He knows the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Sin did not surprise God, but God made a provision for sin. He planned it all out. He knew what it would take to wash away your sin. He knew what it would take to bring you back into his presence. Because although he created you and breathed life in you, he molded you and fashioned you with love and tender kindnesses and mercy. When God knit you together in the womb, he did so with love. And he did so knowing that he had made a provision that when you fell into sin, he would provide the blood of his son to redeem you and to save you if you so choose it. And so God planned the cross of Calvary. It was a plan, the journey that Jesus took. It wasn't we woke up one day and say, oh, let me go to the cross. God had planned this for Jesus and Jesus knew. He's, he is God and they knew way back then what needed to be done and Jesus was willing to do it. We understand from the word of God that we are sinners, that we have sinned. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As long as we understand and confess to God, yes, Lord, I have sinned against you. And if I've sinned against you, I've surely sinned against mankind. And if we acknowledge our sin and acknowledge the cleansing for our sin, we're in a good place. But how many of you know there are people who do not acknowledge sin? Do not acknowledge themselves as being transgressors. I've gave you the story many times before. My uncle was that man that who said to me, I'm a good man. I help everybody. I have no sin. I never sin. I, I'm good. I'm a good man. And I used to say, Uncle, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory. Not me. Not me. Not me. And you know the story. I'm not going to go into that today. But you, the story, you know, he passed away. And God tried to reach to him even uh, in his time. But whether he received that or not, I don't know. But as we acknowledge that we have sinned, if we acknowledge that we sinned against God, 
God is willing to cleanse us and forgive us. What a merciful Father. What a merciful God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? And so Philippians chapter 2, verse number 8, it opens to us a lot of, a lot of good insight. And I want to focus on three things where it says in Philippians 2.8. He humbled himself. He became obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. I want to look at three things today. That he humbled himself, humility, he was obedient, obedience, and death. Let's look at those three things this morning. Number one is that he humbled himself. We all know the story of Christmas that Jesus was born of a virgin in a manger, wrapped in humility as well as in swaddling clothes. He was the king of glory. He was the king of glory. He lacked nothing. All the silver and gold belongs to him. The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to him. He is the Lord of glory. Why would he want to come and be born in a manger with swaddling clothes, born of a virgin? Why? Because he loved you. He was willing. His love for you caused him to willingly humble himself. To bring himself from a place, a stature of being the Lord of glory to coming down to taking on flesh, the flesh as those of those he created. He left that place. Not on a whim, but he planned. He planned the journey. He planned the journey. It was planned that he would be born of a virgin. It was planned that he would be born in a manger in Bethlehem. It was planned. God thought about you. God thought about you. Even before you were born, God knew you and God thought about you. And God thought about you with love and mercy and compassion and forgiveness and grace. When God thought about you, he didn't think badly about you. He thought wonderfully about you. How do you, how do you, how can you, how do we take hold of that? That God thought so much of me that he humbled of me. Say of me. God thought so much of you that he humbled himself and left his place of glory to be born in a manger. He did it for you. He didn't do it for someone else. Yes, I mean, he did, but he did it for you. And there's people in this world that can't understand that, no, he didn't do it for me because I'm not good enough. That's right. You are not good enough. You never will be good enough. That's why God chose to humble himself and come down to save you because there's no way you could save yourself.
And then when he was born, he grew up for 30 years. He grew up as a man in flesh. He's God, but he's in flesh for 30 years. The son of a carpenter. For 30 years, he was growing and being nurtured. Jesus took a journey, a planned journey, to be born in Bethlehem. It took 30 years before he manifested who he was and his mission to the world. 30 years. Do you think 30 years is a short period of time? Well, it is in light of eternity, but 30 years is a long time, isn't it? Sometimes we want things right away. Hey, I've arrived. Hello, I've arrived. And so where's my ministry? Where's my, where's my... Jesus arrived on the scene in Bethlehem, and 30 years he waited before he began to minister and, and minister in his mission of salvation. What do you think Jesus was doing for 30 years? Uh, come on, Father, can you make the clock go a little faster? I mean, come on, you know, you know. Jesus was patient, loving, kind. Loved on his mother, loved on his father, loved on the people, learning, learning, learning. He was always found in the temple. He was learning. He's the teacher. But he was setting an example. We need to have patience. We need to love. We need to learn. It says, in, it says in chapter 2, verse 8, and being found in the appearance or the fashion of a man. Isaiah 53, 2 says, you know, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You know, the, sometimes pictures are painted of a, a beautiful, gorgeous Jesus. But the Bible says that when you looked at him, there was no desire for him. In the flesh, in the natural, he wasn't like a hunk. And so, but he was God. Come for you to save you. The Apostle Paul, he was no model either. Says he was short and bull-legged and couldn't see good. But he was a man of God that God used. If you looked at the outward, you would say, I don't want to have any part of that person. If Paul, the Apostle Paul or Jesus, walked into a church today by looking at them, you will not take note. And that's why we cannot judge someone by appearances. 
It doesn't matter how good they look, how well their hair is combed. It doesn't matter what kind of suit they have on, how much bling they got on their, their, their things, because that doesn't mean godliness. The outward does not declare godliness. It's God looks at the heart. And too many times we judge ministries and things by the appearance of the individual. And God does not judge you by your appearance, outward appearance, and neither should we. God looks at the heart. And it says when they looked at Jesus, there was nothing to, to make them say, oh, this guy must be somebody. But he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because when he opened his mouth and spoke, there was an anointing. There was an anointing. And to those who received it, their lives were changed by the Jesus. Not because of how he looked, but because of what he said. It's the word of God that brings faith. Not so much how it's carried. It's not the vehicle in which it's carried, but it's the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Faith doesn't come by fancy clothes. Faith doesn't come by how much bling somebody's wearing, man or woman. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And Jesus took on, he fashioned himself, took on the form of a servant. He came to serve, not to be served. One day he's coming as a king of kings and, and he will be served. But he came to serve. Jesus went from sacred to scarred. He went from highly regarded to the king of kings and the lord of lords to be discarded by people. Who's this guy? Look at him. Look, they do, He was discarded. His words were discarded. God forbid we should discard the word of the Lord. Whenever we open the word of God, whenever we hear the word of God, it should be, oh my God, the treasures of heaven you have opened to me. Lord, you've given me the words of life. You're speaking words of life to me. God forbid we should ever take this Bible like, I read it already, I know it all. Open the word of God and let the words that live bring life into you. Read the word like you're reading it for the first time. Read it and say, Lord, speak to me. Change me. Your word is alive. Hallelujah. He humbled himself. He went from heaven. You know the song, heaven to earth. He went from the earth to the grave. How, how, how lower can you go? But he went with a mission and with a purpose and a plan. God's journey was planned to come on and become man. And his journey down into the depths of hell was planned. The devil did not take Jesus by surprise. Jesus planned that he would give up his life on the cross, that he can go down to the very depths of hell and set the captives free. Jesus knew there were captives down there that needed it. He wanted to. He desired to set free. Yes. 
And so he took a journey to set them free. You know, the military has specialized units, this Navy SEALs, the Green Beret, all types of things that, that go on specialized missions to rescue or to take somebody out. Jesus went on a specialized mission into the depths of hell to take the keys of life and death away from Satan and to set the captives free. And he did it for you. Jesus set you free. You were captive by the devil. You were captive by sin. You were captive by your own volition, by your own choices. And Jesus came and set you free. He's got the keys of life and death. He humbled himself that he can raise you up. Jesus didn't sit on the throne and say, I'm too good enough. I'm not going down there. They got themselves into that mess. Let them stay there. Suffer. You didn't listen to me? Suffer. That's not the God we serve. People would do that, but God would not do that. God says, I love you. You sin, I loved you. I want to forgive you. I want to have mercy on you. I want to, grace. I want to touch you with my loving kindnesses and my grace. Come, take my hand and let me take you out of what you got yourself into. He's always reaching out, always humbling himself, always reaching out into that depth. To pull you out, to rescue you, to save you, to redeem you. He humbled himself. One day he's coming back again and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus humbled himself and he wants us to humble ourselves. How do we humble ourselves? One way is that we have to admit and confess and repent of our sins. That's the greatest humility that we can ever get. Because when we come down to that place of saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. When I can get to that place and repent, repentance is a doorway to blessing. Then Jesus can lift me up. It takes Jesus to forgive our sins. It doesn't matter how, how much humility you have or how humble you become. Without Jesus, humility and humbleness cannot wash away your sin. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can wash away your sin and raise you up. Things like selfishness, self-seeking, and self-display. We love to put ourselves on display sometimes. There's people who love to put on a show, display themselves to the world. Here I am, I've arrived. That's not what Christ is all about. That's not what our lives should be all about. Our lives should be serving Jesus, loving Jesus, Declaring, the Bible says to defer, submit to one another out of love. Look at someone that's better than you, greater than you. If you have that servant's heart to serve, people want to be served and people don't want to serve. 
I know preachers, I know personally preachers, want to be served. You know who I am? Open that door for me. I believe in being a servant, an armor bearer. But not when someone tells you. Do you know who I am? Huh? Didn't you get the memo? You know who I am? That's an attitude that is not in line with the gospel. We need to be servants one of another. But for the grace of God, where would I be? But for the mercy of God, where would I be? We need to be loving each other, encouraging each other, building each other, honoring each other. Yes, honoring and respecting one another for, for, for what God has done. But when we get to that place of the light shines on me, and you better see the light is shining on me. That's not a place God wants us to be. The light is shining on Jesus. He's the light of the world. Hallelujah. And we've got to let the light of Christ in us shine. We can't shine. The light of Christ in us must shine. Hallelujah. Obedience. Hallelujah. Jesus obeyed his will. Obedience. Attentively giving ear to God with intent to submit or obey. We can give ear attentively to something. And it doesn't mean we're, we're listening because we want to do or want to submit. But when we give ear to God's word with intent, diligent hearing with intent to do what God's word declares to us and shows us and teaches us, when we have the intent to really want to submit to God and to do what God's word tells, asks us to do and tells us to do and shows us, then we are becoming, we have a heart of obedience. But sometimes we just give ear. And God wants us to give more than give ear. Obedience doesn't mean, well, I heard that. Obedience means, I heard it, and I want to do, I want that word to be effective in me. I want that word to change me. I want to live that word. Jesus, I want to do what your word calls me to do. Obedience is the willingness to want to do what God is teaching us and showing us to do. And when you have that heart attitude, Obedience doesn't mean you're perfect or doing everything perfectly because I can't do that and neither can you. Only Jesus can do that. But obedience is the willingness of the heart, of the mindset to say, Lord, I want to. And God working in you will make it possible, make it... How many of you know we're not going to be perfect till we get to heaven? I've had people argue with me. I'm perfect in the Holy Spirit. makes me perfect right now. I'm perfect. I'm perfect. No, you're not perfect. Oh, yes, I am. The Word tells me I'm perfect. I'm made perfect. I'm perfect. No, you're not. You're in the process 
of God making you into his image, we're all on a journey in a road. Now, I feel sorry for people like that, but there are people like that who have looked me in the eye and says, you're wrong. There's nothing left to say. But we've got to look unto Jesus. You know, he remained obedient. The Bible says here, Philippians, even to the point of death or until death. Again, we've got to learn from the word of God. Jesus wasn't obedient just for a season, not just for a couple years or a day or a weekend. Jesus, it was a lifestyle of obedience until the day he went to the cross and gave up and laid down his life. Until God calls us home. We don't know when that day will be. We believe God for a blessed, long, prosperous life. But we don't know when God is going to call you home. But until that day, until as long as we have breath, Lord, I'm on a journey of obedience. I want to listen to, to hear the word. I want to live it as best I can while I have breath in my body. I want to do the right thing, Lord. I want to walk in your ways. I want you to continue to teach me. I want you to continue to mold me and fashion me. I want you to continue to instruct me and guide me in the way. And every day that we live until our bodies, uh, we leave these bodies and go to be with the Lord, until death, we need to, to have a daily, that daily desire and attitude and mindset of being obedient, living in obedience to the Lord. Not out of fear, but out of love for what Christ has done and is doing and will continue to do in your life. And the Bible says we need to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, when the garden, Jesus said, when he was uh, getting ready, when they were coming ready to, to get him, he was saying, Father, if this cup can pass, let it pass. But nevertheless, Father, your will, your will be done in my life. Sometimes, you know, we... We see things about the change in our life and whatever, and we need to pray and believe God. But I know that if I'm born again, if, she, if, if my name is written in the Lamb's book, if I'm a child of God, if I'm in relationship and fellowship with God, He's leading, He's directing my steps and my pathway. Lord, Your will be done in my life. It doesn't mean we don't pray for things to change. It doesn't mean we don't pray for mountains to move. It doesn't mean we don't pray for healing. But Lord, you're wiser than me. Your will be done in my life. Whatever it be. Hallelujah. Step by step, 
day by day, line upon line, precept upon precept. We live to humble ourselves before our God, to understand that without Him, we're nothing. In Him, I am a child of God. We've got to know who we are in Christ. Humility is not saying that I'm a worm before the Lord. I'm a child of God, bought by the blood of Christ, precious and redeemed. My life is to be lived willing obedience to my Father. I willing and desire to be obedient that God can work his work in me, that he can change me and mold me and fashion me. And until the day that I die, until the day that I go home to be with Lord, I want to be found in a relationship with God where I'm hungry for him and thirsty for him. I want more of God in my life. Hallelujah. Nothing else in this world compares. Nothing. Drugs, alcohol, nothing. Party. I've been there, done that stuff. There is nothing, nothing, nothing compares to relationship and living for Jesus. From the cradle to the cross, our lifetime is a lifetime of, of being humble, obedient, and living for the Lord. People wear the cross around their neck where they put the cross on the, on the wall in their, in their home. And that's, that's, that's good. But when we look at the cross, whether it be hanging on someone's neck or on the ring or on the wall, it doesn't matter. We've got to understand that a cross was made for someone to die on. The cross was not made for decoration. The cross was not made uh, to be in a piece of jewelry to say, look at my bling. <clears throat> I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You can wear a cross. I'm not, I'm not saying that. You can hang it up there. I'm not saying, I love that. I thank you, Brother John. But when we look at the cross, we have to understand the cross was made with a purpose. To crucify an individual. And if we understand what crucifixion was and is, it's horrible. It's horrid. And that was devised to crucify a human being, an individual, a man, woman. They took the Christians and they lined the roadway with crosses, thousands of crosses on the roadway. And they took those who confessed their faith in Jesus Christ and they says, you believe in Jesus, the one who died on the cross? Well, then you're going to die just like him. And they took them one by one and nailed human beings to the cross. Some of them they tarred and lit fires with. When we look at the cross, we say, oh, look. But when people looked at the cross, when they were about to be nailed to it and put ablaze, it wasn't a... It wasn't something pleasant. Can you imagine yourself being taken by Roman soldiers? Stripped, beaten, and put on a cross and have them nail you and put you up on a public throughway? Where people could come by and mock you and laugh at you? 
Look, those are Christians. Look, where's Jesus? Look, look. That took place. The cross, when we look at the cross, we all understand it's a place where it was made for someone to die of a cruel and brutal death on. And the Christians had no, they couldn't resist. The, the, the Roman authorities overpowered them. But when Jesus went to the cross, he went willingly. And when we look at the cross, we have to understand, Jesus willingly subjected himself to death, cruel death, on a cross for me. He humbled himself, left glory, and went to the cross to die for me. And this should change my life. When I see and understand what Jesus did on Calvary, it should change my life. It should change the way I think about life. It should change the way I live life. I can't look and say Jesus went to that cross willingly to change me, to save me, and I can live my life however I want. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that I can do what I want and I'm saved because you love me. Think about that. There's people that do that. Well, Jesus loves you. You can live any way you want. Jesus loves you. Well, he does love you. But Jesus went to the cross that your life may be changed, that your life may be a life of being humble, obedient, even unto death for the rest of your life, that we are born again. We're no longer living the way we used to live. Now we're, we've got a new direction. We're living for God. We're living for Jesus. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, to follow me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. Our flesh wants to do a lot of things. Our mind can figure out a lot of things to do to please the flesh. But Jesus says, if anyone want to come after me, want to follow me, let him deny himself. That means a choice, a decision has to be made. Am I going to do it, or am I going to deny myself that pleasure? It says he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What does it mean, take up his cross? We don't go to the cross and get nailed because Jesus did that for us. To take up your cross means to die, to sin, to die to the lifestyle that you were in before Jesus saved you. If we don't take up our cross and put to death the things that Jesus saved us from, how can we say we love him? And then follow me, Jesus says. Deny yourself. People don't want to hear that. That's not a philosophy that people love to hear today. No, you don't deny yourself. You, you supply yourself with everything that makes you happy and pleasurous. If it feels good, do it. Hey, if you can have a good time for the night, if you can have a good time in the bar, do it. God loves you. That is a lie of the devil. It's a lie to rob you 
of the joys of Christ in your life. It's a, it's a lie that will rob you of the blessings that God has for you now in this life. We've got to deny ourselves. You don't hear preachers preaching that. You've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross. What does that mean? You, we've got to start dying to some things. We've got to start putting some pleasures that we used to do nail them to the cross and say, you're dead. Jesus went willingly to the cross. We've got to nail things to the cross willingly. Not for our salvation, but for our life with Christ. Jesus died for me that my life will be changed. And God will help me. God will give me the power. God will give me the ability to nail things to the cross that need to be nailed there. Drugs, alcohol, doesn't matter what it is. Pornography, sex, it doesn't matter. It can be nailed to the cross and say, Jesus by the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit in me, because I'm a new creation in Christ. I don't want this anymore. I'm kneeling. I'm putting it to death. Give me the strength and the power to do it. And God gives you the power to overcome. That's why he says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. Take up your cross and then walk with me. Because you can't walk with Jesus if you're not willing to put to death the things that Jesus came to save you from. You cannot continue in things. Oh, I have people give me a hard time with that. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't tell me I can't do that no more because Jesus loves me. You can't tell me I can't. I've heard this. Not more than one, more than one time. It's the mindset of people thinking you can just go on with life as normal as long as you said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Make me born again. Thank you very much. Now I can go continue to live this way. No, you can't. God has come to change our life, to make us a, a new creation, a new creation. Not a new creation that has no joy. Not a new creation that doesn't have happiness and laughter. And, and I've never known more joy and laughter and contentment and peace than when I came to Christ. I searched the things of this world out before I was born again. And there's vanity. Nothing is there. Nothing pleases. Nothing satisfies. You know, and that's why when you come to Jesus, boy. You find, you find everything that pertains to life, real life, godly life. And that's why Jesus says, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Why? Because he, he, people think that, that, that God is trying to punish you. No, he's not trying. He's trying to bless you. He's trying to get you on a road to joy and happiness and blessing. And that can't happen until we say, yeah, I want to nail this thing to the cross, this old thing I used to, I want to get it out of the way so that I can journey with joy and with peace. Deny yourself. It's not a negative, it's a positive. The devil paints it as a negative. The devil takes up 
take, you take up your cross as a negative. And the, the psychologist is saying, no, you can't think negative things. You've got to think positive things. And denying yourself is negative, not positive. And negative will get you nowhere. It will make you sick. No, 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 no. And with the things of God, when I deny things, it's going to make me healthy. It's going to make me whole. When I nail the things to the cross that need to be nailed, I'm going to be set free. It's going to deliver me. It's not a negative. It's the most positive thing that I've ever known in my life. Hallelujah. I want to just end with this. Pastor A.W. Tozer, some of you may be familiar with the name, he once pointed out three things, three marks of one who has been crucified. One, he said, that someone on a cross is facing in only one direction. Can't turn around and look backward. Secondly, that person can never turn back. They're, they're nailed to the cross. They can't go anywhere. And third, such a person has no more plans for his life. Someone who's nailed to the cross, I think I'll go down to the seashore next week. No. Your plans are over. Plans for your life are done. When we come to Christ, he's got the plan for our life. We've got to be looking. You know, repentance is doing a 180. And now I'm facing in one direction. I'm looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. My focus is on my Lord, my God, my Savior. My focus is on the Word. I'm looking forward. I'm looking ahead to the day I'm going to be with Jesus in glory forever. My focus is forward, not backward. I don't want to look back that way anymore. I know what's there and it's not good. I'm looking forward to the blessings and the joy of my Lord. And so I want to just end with this. Jesus calls us to have lives of humility, obedience, and to live Live lives that we're putting things to death that need to be put to death and taking hold of real life with Jesus Christ in the Word of God. That's why I say when we listen to the Word on Sunday school, on Sunday, on Wednesday, these are words of life, words that bring life into us. And it's, it's, it's three things I just want to let you, ask you to think about. What impact has Jesus' death on the cross what has it had on you what don't answer it what kind of impact has his death had on you second what impact is jesus's death on the cross having on you today what did his death on the cross do for you what did his death on, what is his death what has his death on the cross what is it doing for you today what is it doing for you today? And third, what is Jesus' death on the cross holding out for you and offering you for tomorrow? He paid our price. He's cleansing us. He's empowering us. And he's offering us a future of life with him. But it takes a journey. It takes a process of understanding that he humbled himself, left heaven's throne, came down, took on flesh, born of a virgin, born in a manger, went to the cross, went down into the depths of hell,
took the keys of life and death, set the captives free. He humbled himself for you. What can we do for him? Can we not say, Lord, my life belongs to you? I don't want to live according to my own plans. That doesn't mean you can't plan a trip to, to my house or to the shore or somewhere. It doesn't mean that. But it means our plans now are to live for Jesus. My plan is to glorify my Lord and my Savior, to magnify his name. My plan is that, Lord, you will change me. Here am I, Lord. Change me. Here am I, Lord. Here am I. That's my plan. My plan is to live for Jesus and to let him mold me and change me, however. And whatever God shows me needs change in my life, change me, Lord. I want to change. I'm willing. I'm willing. And with your help, I am able to change. With your help, I am able to become more like you want me to be. It's a process. It's a journey that we're all on. But God makes it all possible. God makes it all happen as we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I desire you. You're my joy. You're my focus. You're my life. You're the way. You're the truth. You're the life, Jesus. How many of you can say that? He's the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Stand with me this morning.